Hey, you want to see me, Professor? Oh, yes. Uh, how do you feel, pal? Any nervousness? Oh, me nervous? Ah, very well. We'll check. Now close your eyes. With your right hand, touch your left ear. With your left hand, touch your nose. Touch my left ear with my right nose and touch my right nose with my left ear. Can you beat that? I can't even find my own nose. Now look straight at me. Something wrong, Professor? No, I thought your flunking that hand to nose test might indicate a lesion in the cerebrospinal nerve tracts. But your eyes reacted normally to the light test. Oh, thanks, Professor. You had me all worried. Hey, pal, get this bag here. Finishing up the last batch, Professor. Well, that's splendid. Oh, Butch, how about rocks? Has he opened the storage vault yet? You ought to have it by now. This is the last of it, Professor, except the vault stuff. Well, that's fine. Get them packed and loaded. We'll take care of the first in the vault ourselves. Yeah, we scattered them out. But don't eat all at once. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. Come here. Let me see you close your eyes. Now stretch your arms, bring them slowly together, and touch forefingers. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Never mind, I found out what I wanted. Much obliged. Uh, will you take care of my bag, please? Come on, Butch. Let's go to the mall. You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. back it is they must be destroyed on site episode 228 and i'm your host lee preserved in alcohol russell <laughs> joined by my co-host lee a magnificent specimen of pure viciousness hardy how are you doing ma'am that sounds about right i like that mm. i thought i thought you'd get kicked out of that one yeah that will be my title for a while <laughs> mm. And before we move on, uh, just going to mention uh, Daniel's going to be off for a few episodes. He's taking a little break from the podcast. So although it's technically like a two month break, that only means he's like missing like four episodes or something like that. So for, for all you people out there listening with our sort of main <laughs> episode every two weeks kind of thing. But um, of course, we're, we're still going to be doing the regular episodes and we're probably going to have some guests on and we'll still be doing the uh, intermission episodes, too. Uh, so plenty of stuff coming your guys' way. So just, just so you know. I'm not skipping a beat. Mm-mm, no. Uh, so the movie we're going to be checking out tonight is The Amazing Dr. Clitterhouse from 1938. And the movie's not as interesting as the title makes it out to be in, in a certain uh, context. And um, if people are wondering, yes, indeed, even... Even back then, that that word had that context in 1938. So we'll, we'll get into that into the in the uh, trivia and stuff like that. But um, before we do that, uh, we'll mention what we've watched in the last little while. So uh, I'll throw it over to you first, there, Lee. Uh, I watched Wally recently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting like super cute right now. Um, I didn't realize like how much a friggin' movie can make me cry. <laughs> like, these movies are terrible. Like, they just tug at your friggin' heartstrings. <laughs> just just animated characters that you just fall in love with. So 
yeah, I've never, like I told you, I was telling you off, uh, off recording here. I, I've never seen that one. I know, I know what it is. It's, it's like a robot or something, right. That comes to earth or. Well, it's one, like, it's basically, um, the earth is destroyed and oh. this is supposed to be the robot that's supposed to like help deal with all the, the, the waste and the garbage. Mm-hmm. But he was kind of, um, his, his model was in no more use. They weren't bothering anymore. But then, oh, yeah, then it's any, like, little robots to see if there's, like, any sort of life on Earth, which mm-hmm. they had given up on, essentially. And then they actually find a plant realizing, oh, my God, there's life on Earth again. So uh, it's a really cute. It's really cute. Oh, my God, it's adorable. <laughs> Gotta watch it. If you want to, like, fall in love with two robots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you, you don't even... It's, like, silly... You can fall in love with a robot and you don't have to pay the Japanese like thousands upon thousands of dollars. That was a no. sex doll joke. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> don't ruin Wally for me, okay? <laughs> he has like that. Okay. Him and Eva have like the most, like the cutest relationship too. Oh, okay. Well. It's sure. like the best love story. Probably the best love story. All right, well, I might have to watch this at some point. I don't know, but Do we'll it. see. Okay, we'll, we'll see. I'll I'll report back to you at some point. Then you can uh, just make fun of me. <laughs> I'm going to do that anyway, but you know. So the only thing I really have to mention that I watched was um, the new Russell Crowe movie, uh, Unhinged, from, I, I guess, this year. It came out 2021. It is quite a different uh, turn from the usual Russell Crowe stuff. It's, it's basically just a... Uh, sort of suspense thriller where he plays this guy who has gone off the deep end and he has a road rage incident with this uh, young mother who is also having a really bad day and she snaps at him and he's all so Russell Crowe's already um, killed his cheating wife and, and her lover and burnt down the house that they're in. So like that, that's the whole opening of this movie. It's not big spoilers or anything like that. It's just like this really well done tense, like opening of him in a heavy breathing in his car and, and popping pills and then walking into this house <laughs> and just like swiftly killing them and burning the house down. You don't even see him kill them. Basically it's just like, it's a shot from his car at directly towards the house. So anyway, he decides, you know, he snapped, he go he goes over the edge, he decides to make this young woman's uh life a living hell and basically starts tailing her on the road, following her around to where she stops and stuff like that and menacing her and escalates and escalates as he's threatening her and Russell Crowe put on like he must have legit put on 100 pounds for this movie. Like he is obese in this movie. Uh he looks like um <laughs> He looks like uh, John Goodman used to look back in the Roseanne days. He's oh, that Yeah. So it's like this big bear of a man driving this big fucking like SUV truck or whatever the fuck. And, and just menacing this, this poor young woman on the road in her shitty old car from like the 1990s. Like she's so poor and stuff. She can't get like a new car or anything like that, you know, kind of thing. And I really enjoyed it. It's kind of like a mix between like uh, the Steven Spielberg movie Duel in a way. It's sort of got that aspect to it. Sort of also like um, I don't know if you ever seen the movie Falling Down with uh, Michael Douglas, but it's kind of like that in a way too because you actually get to know the antagonist a little bit and why he snapped and all that shit. And it just has kind of surprised me that the movie actually 
gets super vicious. Like it, it, it lets Russell Crowe be as mean and fucking nasty as he appears like he is as a character. Like he, it, it, it almost turns into like basically a, almost like a slasher horror movie in a, in a near the end of it, especially the, the sort of stuff Russell Crowe starts doing. So that's interesting. Yeah. So I actually recommend it. It's, it's quite, quite good. I like how you watch the most vicious movie and I watch the most adorable movie. It's just nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I got a feeling it doesn't have much in common with uh, Wally. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, it's the opposite. The opposite. One's <laughs> helping people, the other one's like murdering people. So it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. We're, just, we're just polar opposites. It's cool. We just provide some balance for uh, you, the listener, you know. Yeah. We Get just a little... have to listen to something from both extremes. Mm hmm. Get, get a little, little bit of everything. A little alpha, little omega, a little yang, little yang, <laughs> little Pepsi, little Coke. You know, who know, who know what, yeah, whatever. whatever your thing is, we've got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to play podcast promo and some music, and we're going to come back and talk about the amazing Dr. Clitterhouse. <laughs> How about throwing a little beach party for yourself and letting these people to get to know you oh so better? Hey kids, it's me, your good friend Alistair, here to tell you about a wonderful movie podcast called Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles. What happens is, every two weeks, the love of my life, Siobhan, and I are joined by a cast of friends, family, internet weirdos, and special guests to guide you through the wild and woolly world of erotic thrillers and softcore films. Everything from alien abduction, intimate secrets, to Zarita, Passions Avenger, and all points in between. Check it out now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's that horrid man talking about? Hello and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. And I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, bark, bark. <laughs> And he said, bark, bark, bark. She said, bark, 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 bark. That's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner. The other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. Which one is crying? <laughs> The boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, this is the Doomed Show. Is available on Hello Doomed Show. and Doomed Movie Thon. com. Hello, hello. This is the Doomed Show. Richard, Brad, Jeffrey, Nava. It's the Doomed Show. Hello, hello. This is the Doomed Show.
Okay, we have the amazing Dr. Clitterhouse from 1938, and here is a trailer I cut down a bit because it was like <laughs> three minutes fucking long. Police headquarters, please. Hello. Good evening. I want to report a robbery at uh, Mrs. Frederick B. Updike's house, 13 Sutton Square. Thank you. All right, what's your game? What does my game appear to be? Now, let's get down to cases. You're the guy to pull the uptight job. That's a very logical conclusion. All right, wise guy, and you're trying to unload the stuff. Well, you're catching on marvelously. Okay, Joe, make a deal with this guy. He's getting in my hair. Come on, now, let's talk turkey. I can't get over it. You deliberately committing a robbery. Four. Four perfect crimes in four weeks. Hey, get that light off me. What's the idea? Oh, uh, just an accident, old man. Nothing to be upset about. Yeah, well, don't let no more accidents happen. I ain't no guy you can push around like these other dopes. Shut up. My confession won't hold water, but I'm going to keep those coppers entertained until you can get to him. The professor. The professor. Take that dumb look off your face and listen to me. The professor is plenty hot. Get up to his office right away. Tell him to blow town fast. Get out of the country. Try and keep your eyes open. Look at me. You see me as if you were looking through the wrong end of a telescope. You see the walls of the room waver and sway. In a moment, you will have a sensation of falling in space swiftly. You'll hear a rushing sound in your ears. You know so much about other people's insides. Why don't you put your stethoscope on and listen to my heart? Maybe you'd like a sample of my blood. All right, and that tra- even that trailer I cut down sucked ass. It doesn't really, it doesn't tell you about the movie. Uh, no, not at all. A lot of those trailers, ba- a lot of those trailers back then, that you know they didn't have the voiceover like in a world or whatever where this yeah. happens to this guy. It's always like they'll they'll give you a bunch of music, they'll give you a title card like showing you the starring this person, this person in a thrilling adventure. They'll you know it's on people read back then, so it mm-hmm. you know. Kind of, but yeah, this is the amazing Dr. Clitterhouse, uh, directed by Anatoly Litvak, who was a Ukrainian born Jew, acted and directed in the Soviet Union's film industry from 1915 to 1927 before he moved to Germany. Um, but his career in Ger- Germany got very cut short by a little guy named Adolf Hitler who rose to power a few years later. Son of a bitch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he, he like a lot of uh, the film industry uh, in arts and entertainment and just anybody Jewish in Germany at that point, oh, he saw the, uh, he, know when, he knew when the getting was good and he got the fuck out of there and went to France and worked there for a little while and got the attention overseas from his work and eventually sitting basically came to Hollywood for Warner brothers and did a bunch of suspense thrillers. Um, you see a little bit of his expertise in that here, but uh, although this is more of a comedy crime film in a way, but um, we'll get into it. And this is written by John Wexley who had a few credits. I didn't 
recognize pretty much anything in it that I recognize, so I won't bother going through it. Another writer on here, quite a famous one, John Huston, who, of course, uh, also famous director and actor. And uh, he was just uh, doing a writing credit on this one. And this is based on uh, Barry Lyndon's uh, screenplay. Um, well, actually, this is based on the play uh, that he that he uh, did. Uh, and Barry Lyndon was uh, he was both in theater and he wrote screenplays uh, for film. He did a couple that we have covered on this podcast, namely uh, The Lodger from 1944 and Hangover Square from 1945, which uh, Daniel and I both really liked. He also did The Man in the Half Moon Street from 1945, which was actually remade by Hammer Films in 1959 as The Man Who Could Cheat Death. And he also famously uh wrote the screenplay for the 1953 war of the worlds, uh, which is pretty good, pretty good, a uh, little pedigree there. So this is starring Edward G. Robinson as Dr. Clitterhouse, uh, Claire Trevor as Joe Keller, Humphrey Bogart, a uh, very young Humphrey Bogart here as rocks Valentine. And the interesting thing here, all three of these uh, leads, uh, they also went on to be in key Largo a few years later, which is one of the most famous sort of film noir crime pictures ever made. This is one of like five movies that Bogart did with, with uh, Edward G. Robinson, by the way, where they were pretty much like, you know, paired against each other, uh, sort of switching the hero villain roles here and there. Alan Jenkins is okay. Uh, we actually saw Alan Jenkins before a couple episodes ago in dance, Charlie dance. Uh, oh. He was, yeah, he was the, uh, he was the unscrupulous movie producer or theater producer or whatever the fuck. Uh, okay. Tried, yeah. I was going to say, so like they look familiar. I just couldn't recall from where. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Donald Crisp as police inspector Lewis Lane, which that has to be a reference to Lois Lane, right? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I don't know when Lois Lane was, was a character in, in Superman comics or whatever. I'm not sure. I'm trying whatever. to think of like when she was created, so I can't even tell you. Mm. I don't go that far back in comic books. Mm. Gail Page as Nurse Randolph, Henry O'Neill as the judge, uh, John Little as Mr. Monroe, the prosecuting attorney, Thurston Hall as Grant, Maxie Rosenblum as Butch, Bert Hanlon as Pat, Kurt Boy as Rabbit, Ward Bond as Tug. Imagine having the name Tug in a movie called Dr. Clitterhouse. That <laughs> seems like a... <laughs> Seems like a good pairing. Uh, Vladimir Sokolov as Poppus, uh, named Poopus in this. I guess pronounced Poopus. <laughs> I, I didn't catch that part. Uh, Billy, Billy Wayne is Candy. Robert Holmans is Lieutenant Johnson. And Irvin Bacon is foreman of jury. Uh, and we have a synopsis here from Cole Needham on IMDb. Dr. Clitterhouse is fascinated with the working of the criminal mind. His interest is so deep that he finds the best way to observe criminals in action is to become one himself. Whilst robbing a safe at an exclusive party, he stumbles across an organized gang trying to do the same thing. He teams up the gang to observe them in action, but one of the members, Rox Valentine, would like nothing better than see Clitterhouse out of the way. And yeah, that's a decent back of the box yeah, kind of fun. description. There's a bit more going on here than uh, than than what's alluded to there, but this is first time watch for both of us. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, de- I definitely I'd never heard of this one before and we only put it on the uh, on the list because the name 
well, the actors in it are cool. And the name was like clear house. Okay. So that, <laughs> how can you not want to do that? <laughs> that's gotta be, that's gotta be, um, you know, it, it's gotta be, it's gonna be like, that doesn't mean what it sounds like it means. Right. But it actually does. Strangely enough, the lead's character's uh, name is a play on the term for female sexual organ, the clitoris, a name characterized by the yearning, untrammeled nature of Clitterhouse himself, an extremely daring pun for 1936. So when the when the play was written by Barry Lyndon and, and put on, he was just sort of sliding a joke in there. And it somehow got past the censors at the time because uh, we're now under the Hayes Code in Hollywood where... You have to punish criminals and women can't be too sexy and, <laughs> and you know, and can't have agency and uh, you have to be patriotic and shit like that. So they managed to sneak that in under there. Right. Um, Very smart. How they did uh, it. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what are your sort of initial thoughts on this? I, I loved it. I, uh-huh. I was obsessed with it. It, My God, it was a movie about psychology. How can I not love it? Like, this Mm -hmm. is right down my alley. Like, I was writing down um, what I was thinking he was doing. I was trying to figure out the independent variable. I was trying to figure out the dependent variable. I was trying to figure out what kind of study it was. I was trying to see, like, what I would do differently. Like, that's the whole time in the movie. It was so fascinating how they did it. Like, especially for back then, they were talking about uh, criminal psychology out of everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, technically forensic psychology, but um, they were talking about that, and I was, I was just thinking, I'm like, what? They actually did that back then? <laughs> like, I feel, I feel like it's only really gotten serious, more serious over the years. So for them to kind of like dive into that, it was, it was fascinating, and how they developed it was well done. Like at the beginning, when he was completely unpanicked, making the call. Mm-hmm. and just so casual and then during the crime he was casual and like when he was breaking free from the freezer he was pretty casual like it was just it was really cool <laughs> <laughs> i i definitely enjoyed it like this is a good movie it's it's a it's a thinker too which i enjoyed yeah forensic psychology there's been you know just the the sort of bare bones like skeleton of of what it is now kind of thing but i mean they're definitely doing some bits of this and that even this early and in earlier, but it was, you know, it was actually becoming recognized as more of a science at this point kind of thing. And so, yeah, they do sort of pay some service to that. They, they do have some neat little technical details too, like on the other end of things with a Bogart at one point, like rigging a phone so he can learn a dude's phone number. Yeah. That was which, cool. Mm, I thought that was pretty neat. It was intelligently done. I found this film really deceptive. Uh, I, it's not what I expected, right? Uh, I yeah. expected, like, especially the opening shot is like a, a a bubbling beaker in a laboratory. So I thought, okay, this is going to be Dr. Clitterhouse. He's the mad genius criminal, you know, or this is some sort of horror film or something like that. But it is a heist gangster picture with the sort of criminal psychology aspect over top of it. And then there's all this comedy through it as well, right? It's it's very like the the dialogue's very wittily written. Like Edward G. Robinson gets to you know play this guy who's smarter than everybody else in the film, and he you know he subtly dresses down people and talks down to them and over them <laughs> and around them um, without you know cracking a smile doing it or anything like that. But um, 
<laughs> which There's... does show signs of psychopathy. Uh, mm. I was I was trying to do rate him on the, the the psychopathy test. I can't remember the name of it, but there's an actual test, and I remember just thinking, I'm like, okay, well, he's showing signs of this and mm. this, and this is there. So <laughs> I was I was taking all my studies and putting it into this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean this this movie. At first, I thought as I was watching this, it's like, wow, this movie is so base level but it's really not it's it has like i said again it has to work under the haze code so uh i'll I'll probably get to that and like some of my final thoughts on this or whatever once we get to that point but um it's very subtly weaving in psychology without going too far um and i think by the end of it, like I, I sort of discovered that the, the entire movie is kind of judging Clitterhouse's psychological profile more than anything else. Like he's studying these people and you're sort of, you're supposed to be following him and you're supposed to be on board with what he's doing. And you're supposed to not question whether he's a fucking crazy person or not. Right. Um, So once you get to the end, the movie actually kind of turns things right over on, on its head. Almost, And I mean, Robinson here, he's playing a bit against type. Like he's the way he presents himself. He's playing more of like a good guy. Uh, You know, the brilliant doctor on the side of good manipulating criminals. But I mean, he's like two steps away from being like Dr. Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes, because he's that smart the way he's organizing all these uh, these crimes. Like he, he gets in with this criminal gang and he just stumbles upon them on accident. Like he's doing this as a dalliance, right? Like he, he's he's in upper society. So he knows people who have safes full of jewels and stuff. And he's clever enough that he can sneak into a into a person's bedroom during a party and steal all their jewels and stuff and not be questioned because he's a rich doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just stumbles upon this gang of, of, you know, low key criminals who have this uh, beautiful fence that they're connected with that he sort of, you know, gets involved with quote unquote, doesn't really get involved with her, but uh, he does take a shine to her at the very least. I was, I was very surprised how this movie sort of like puts you in a certain comfort zone where you're like, Okay, yeah, Edward G. Robinson's the good guy, and we're following him, and uh, we're going to be on board for everything he does, and, and it's fine that he's manipulating these criminals because you, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't on board with that. No, okay. <laughs> no, I uh, only reason because um, right away when he started doing this, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, this is the um, the Stanford experiment, like the Zimardo uh, prison experiment all over again where he tells people this is what i want you to do this is a little bit different because like what the movie was doing was like a natural experiment everything just Mm -hmm. happened naturally he wasn't really um, manipulating any data or trying to do anything versus Zimbardo was a field experiment so Mm -hmm. uh he kind of set the independent variable and like was able to manipulate things when he wanted to and Zimbardo created the scenario and a big reason why they was shut down because they said oh, it's a safety for people but realistically it was Zimbardo because he ended up uh, someone told him like you're not the same kind of person anymore like you're you're going crazy essentially mm-hmm. and he realized what he was doing and he was causing a lot of chaos and a lot of uh, harm on the prisoners and he was making the guards like people were talking about the guards and the prisoners but it was Zimbardo who was like pushing it for happen to happen mm-hmm. so 
when I saw this, I was like, oh my god, you're Zimbardo. You're that guy who's like, I am the god. I'm going to make this happen. And it was so interesting, the development of how that happened. But I was I was just the whole time I was just thinking, I'm like, this is entirely unethical. This is not right. They don't oh, yeah. even know they're being studied. Uh, oh, yeah. I understand yeah. natural, but <laughs> it was it was yeah. um there would be there'd be no there'd be no like psychiatrist, uh psychologist, anything in their right minds who would like approve of what he's doing here. Like it, it no. it's very unethical. No. Does it doesn't matter if they're criminals or not, right? But but the movie kind of like it the way the movie's kind of a it's got the light comedy and stuff going through it and the way edward g robinson plays it you're supposed to be endeared to him like it, it's supposed to make you think oh this is a kind of a light romp and it's a silly premise <laughs> and you're supposed to get into it right but like really deep down it is there is some kind of dark stuff here that i guess they just couldn't explicitly kind yeah. of show um yeah. <laughs> because the idea of getting into the mind of a criminal probably seemed pretty cutting edge fascinating and kind of edgy for 1938 mm-hmm. i mean it, it's kind of a played out gimmick now right we're just so inundated now with so many television shows books movies that are all yeah. about you know true crime serial killer docs stuff like that like we just we get them new ones every week but here this must have been kind of new and original for people it's like oh and so they they come up uh edward g robinson uh Clitterhouse, he comes up, he's, he's got this premise, right? And th- this is where the movie's kind of really silly because he's got this premise that he kind of thinks maybe there's something like being a criminal is more akin to like a change in your, in your, in your blood and your body chemistry than it is anything that's maybe inherent in you or any like sort of societal factors growing up or anything like that. Like he's, he's taking blood tests from these criminals every time they take a, they they commit a crime, like coordination test and like uh, pupil dilation test Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. And he's testing their adrenaline and stuff like that. And that, uh, that on its face is silly. And the other thing that's silly is like, there's no way in fuck these criminals would let him take their blood at any point. They, they, they would kill him and dump him in the river first chance yeah. they got you know but i mean you have to sort of like accept that conceit and disbelief <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it uh i totally agree uh because what if they were going with it what i was kind of curious about i didn't understand what the study he was doing because i was trying to figure out what his um like hypothesis was because uh mm-hmm. the independent variable would be like the criminal activity right and the dependent variable would be the blood work being done and like the um, the reaction of like the coordination all that mm-hmm. stuff the dilation the pupils and he was testing that and i was like why what is it what are you trying to prove like what's your hypothesis trying to say and it i don't know it seemed it seemed weird and when he said like oh my study is this my study is that i'm like you did one study with one case group like you can't really get much out of that like you I- I think it I think it does lead credence to the fact though that he's like crazy all along though. Like he's he's doing these studies to justify mm-hmm. his own his own psychopathy. Like he and he's legit, like in the movie. He's probably the smartest guy in the film, right? Like he's smarter yeah. than everybody else and he's running circles around everybody. So he can tell even like the fucking nurse who's worked with him probably for years. Well, this is my study and this is how I'm doing it. And she's not going to question it, especially in 1938. A nurse ain't going to question Dr. Clitterhouse about anything he says. Right. 
he was very manipulative too like he was very mm-hmm. which is a sign of psychopathy mm-hmm. um uh the whole charming attitude and just the the lack of remorse is a huge sign of psychopathy so when the nurse at the beginning where he says oh you can leave if you want like if you don't want to be a part of this you can leave i was like oh you're good you're like mind manipulation like your mind fuckery is just on point because mm-hmm. uh, that's that's the thing like that's the whole point of saying well this guy's a good guy and he's doing this so it must be for a good reason and really i just <laughs> Like he said, he kind of started enjoying the crime. And uh, I wrote in my notes way early on talking about like um, highly being intelligent and then also having um, somewhat of like somewhat be insane. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he just seems to be at that level. Like I almost, I don't want to be diagnosing, but I almost feel like he was maybe possibly on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's what I got from it because there was a lot of uh, a lack of um, knowing how to kind of interact socially. Like he was very, very smart about everything and he didn't really care about other people's feelings. It was just more, he knew how to talk to them and he was very smart with that way. He was, uh, he wasn't even worried about, anyone discovering his scheme necessarily like well at least at least people he had power over like the nurse she mm-hmm. immediately discovers the stolen jewels in his in his little briefcase or whatever right that mm-hmm. his doctor's bag because he kept them in his doctor's bag and just took them to work with him with them uh, and he knows they're in there and they're he, and he's not he's not overlooking it or anything. He's not making a mistake. He knows they're in there, and he knows when the nurse goes to look in his doctor's bag to get equipment for him, she's going to see it, and she's immediately going to connect one plus one and and know what's going on. He doesn't care. Like he 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 knows he can like basically manipulate, and because he's her superior, he can sort of you know if he has to browbeat her into submission, like he, he is just totally flippant about it. It's just like, Oh yes, my dear, I stole the jewels. And he's talking, you know, in a different different movie. He lacked that kind of social um, intelligence. Like hmm. he didn't have any, like it just seemed everything that happened around, like even when the, at the beginning, when the chaos happened with the jewels being uh, missing and everyone went crazy and he was so casual and calm. Mm -hmm. um, It kind of just, gave that vibe that he didn't have it wasn't just his he knew what was going on it was more he was meant to be like seem aloof like he didn't really understand why everyone was freaking out while he was like oh no it's cool it's calm because even if you are a smart person and there is like chaos going on you would think like maybe i should react with them because there's that social intelligence like how you react with people and mm-hmm. um how you kind of like feel with or yeah just the interaction with people in general people who lack that intelligence that's kind of what i felt like he was super intelligent and everything else but socially it was different because anytime mm-hmm. something happened where he should feel like danger or scared or anything he wasn't feeling that or when he should feel excitement he wasn't feeling that he was very like emotionally not mute it was just he didn't have very many emotions like he wasn't very like even at the end when they were talking about him being a criminal and even when he was free, he was very calm. So mm-hmm. he just didn't have, uh, he was very flat emotionally. He feels, it feels by the end of the film, he's very pleasantly surprised a bit because at the beginning of the film, I sort of felt like he's just got this air of like, I'm untouchable. Like nothing bad can possibly happen to me no matter what I do. So, you know, that's why he's so like, 
just frivolous with like having the stolen jewels in his doctor's bag, which, which anyone could pretty much like walk, walk into like in he he just, he just kind of knows his nurse is going to go along with him. And, um, but, but, you know, there's a couple incidents when, you know, when he finally starts butting heads with Humphrey Bogart, where he starts, starts to learn that mm, maybe bad shit can happen to me. So like by the time of the trial, when spoilers, he gets off uh, on an insanity plea, although quite a bullshit insanity plea. Like it, it's not the uh, we're going to throw this poor bum into a rubber room and abuse him for the rest of his life. Insanity. Thing. It's like, like, I, ugh, the fact that I said he got off on an insanity charge, I was like, really? Back then you want to go to an insane asylum? You come outside out of it even more insane. Actually, mm. if you even come outside, you'll probably die. Like, all their tests and everything were so awful and so unethical and not even, like, oh, God, don't even get me going on that. <laughs> like, yeah, but, I mean, but <laughs> they, sort, they sort of allude to the fact that he's a big, rich, famous doctor, that he's his privilege is going to let him just, like, the, the judge says, uh, you know, put him in care of whoever for, like, examination, but they don't necessarily yeah. say they're going to throw him in a rubber room or whatever, you know. But even in um, examination, like, okay, yeah. cool, let's get him a frontal lobotomy and, like, be done with it. Like, that's... Mm. But, I mean, I, I think, I think by, by the end of it, though, like, he, he's sort of, like, he's a little pleasantly surprised, like, oh, shit, I've gotten away with it, and I'm going to talk myself out of, you know, any sort of incarceration, and I'm just going to keep on keeping on kind of thing you know he'll probably write a book or whatever you know yeah, he seemed really interested in like the reaction of the crowd too just mm-hmm. how everything happened that's why I said, okay so they were saying they said schizophrenia i don't know how many times with that thing mm. it is not schizophrenia i'm telling no. everybody now there is nothing nothing related there might obviously be some symptoms of it but in in that <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry <laughs> Her, her 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 dog decided to be a big lump and, and, and perform for the camera. Just flop next to me. Yeah. Um, but like the obvious things with schizophrenia had nothing to do with him. And they kept mentioning schizophrenia. And it was driving me crazy. Then again, this is nineteen thirty-nine. I don't know what the studies were back then. I don't know what information they had back then. Uh it's also somebody in a movie, so mm-hmm. they could just use it because it's the only mental uh illness that they know i mean uh the depiction the depictions of mental illness in film have not been exactly historically all that great (laughs) and i think that's the thing that they just heard the word schizophrenia and schizophrenia was probably something that was diagnosed for so many different diagnoses now that we have the proper thing but Mm -hmm. no that's schizophrenia (laughs) just like female hysteria you know kind of Sorry, we get horny. But yeah, it's like there there is definitely this this sort of underpinning of complexity that in this that I just think I really do think it's the Hayes Code that was that was keeping this from being too explicit. Yeah, and 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 if he was because basically you can't punish criminals. Or, I mean, you have to punish criminals uh, in under the Hayes Code, basically. So if you have a movie with crime, by the end of it, the criminals have to be punished and they have to be suitably punished. Clarehouse is not punished. He's actually kind of vindicated by the script. He's actually kind of um, shown to be, oh, he's the good guy. Tangentially, he's the good guy. Good enough, you know, that uh, you're supposed to feel all right for him. But you can kind of see underneath it, like, you know, censors are historically stupid people uh who 
don't know what the fuck they're doing and they have no rhyme or reason to what they're doing. They just, they're just self-important idiots as far as I'm concerned. And uh, under the Hayes code, I'm sure it was no different. And so you, you got savvy writers like John Houston, who was a fucking rebel in Hollywood anyway, and fuck went on to sort of like carve himself a nice career of just being kind of a, a maverick. And he knew how to get around these things. And the script kind of shows that I think. And, mm-hmm. and then, and, and, and it's That's just, the, really clever. and it's these, these really brilliant, like fun kind of light performances almost that kind of help mask what's actually in the script. So if, if you put this in front of some fucking pig headed sensor, all they're looking for is like tits and uh, a criminal not being punished and they don't see that. So, you know, the, the obvious bad guys, you know, uh, the fucking Humphrey Bogart, he gets punished in the end for being the obvious bad guy who's trying to kill our hero, Dr. Clitterhouse, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I, I could definitely see that f- just flying right, right over their heads, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. That, it's like, no, Clitterhouse is actually, no, yeah, Humphrey Bogart's bad. Like, he, he's, he's a piece of shit, but Clitterhouse is actually the worst criminal here. Like, he's actually an unethical monster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's sending people out to do their criminal activities just for the the sake of study. Um, I did think it was really cool that they did mention uh, kind of understanding criminals and not in order to try and uh, create prevention. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times, anytime you talk about anything, even if you talk about like prison system and stuff, um, it's never about uh, rehabilitating or trying to create an environment where you can prevent crime. It's always about what do we do to criminals to make them, uh, suffer for their crimes yeah so there's no sort of um justice system of like rehabilitation if a criminal is a criminal that's it they're a criminal forever instead of saying okay how do we prevent this from becoming a criminal or how do we stop them from becoming a criminal and that's kind of cool because it's 1939 and he kind of brought up that concept right at the get-go trying to say like mm-hmm. she's trying to prevent crime i thought that was interesting that was kind of an interesting uh and i mean and and a lot of the comedy comes from Glitterhouse's interactions with Bogart's gang. You know, Bogart is just a piece of garbage. Like he's he's an asshole. He, yeah. He's 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 a, you know he's a street thug basically. But when it comes to like the rest of his gang, they're all like comedic foils basically. So they're all a little bit silly, a little bit bizarre, and much more human. They're just yeah. portrayed that way and Clitterhouse gets to know them and interacts with them. And they all like Clitterhouse because he treats them like human beings, you know, even if it's just for his unethical experiments where he actually doesn't, he has no human feelings at all and doesn't actually give a shit about any of these people, but he brings out their characters, at least for the people watching to sort of like connect with them. And it's like, you can kind of buy the idea, you know, it, it helps, it helps sell the idea. Like, you know, criminals are just people too, just, some of them are just gone a bad way. Yeah. Oh, no, to circumstances that they haven't been able to control. And you can actually see the worth of a human being come out in the characters of some of these, of these, these people. And you can kind of like sympathize with them and like them. And so this movie again, sort of slyly does something that I don't think you would expect going in. Yeah, it was interesting. It was seeing criminals as people versus criminals as criminals, mm-hmm. and that was kind of cool. I I enjoyed that. I and I, I like how I enjoyed the movie. And I like how Clitterhouse uh, wipe uh, gets Bogart out of the way. Um, he he drugs him with uh, Paranol 
chloride or something like that it's called it, it it's it's something that um is used like it's a sedative for insomnia and yeah for doses. yeah for very small doses but apparently yeah. if you but apparently also it's like very flavor flavorless yeah scentless. so you, yeah so you can just you can just dump it in whiskey and and that's what he does he gives he gives like uh, bogart a big glass of whiskey and here you go drink her down <laughs> it's kind of funny how this guy's so creative when it came to the whole process of everything and then he murders somebody and he decides to just toss them in the river mm. like i understand there's that panic of like oh shit i just murdered somebody and i wasn't supposed to but you think i i was kind of hoping for a more clever way of disposing the body then mm. again it wouldn't make the end of the movie because we have to find a matchbook that didn't dissolve in the water mm. but... <laughs> but he was but i he was he was kind of delighted at the opportunity to be able to murder Bogart. Like, if anything, this sort of helped the study, right? Because he, oh, he was could, so excited. Yeah, because he, he tells Bogart, <laughs> "It's like now I get I get to commit the ultimate crime, murder." Yeah, and I get, I get this in a chapter in my book. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and, and and Bogart just he doesn't even see it coming. He he doesn't he doesn't realize he's on the other end of that kind of thing, and until it's too late. And then you get that great shot from Bogart's perspective where he is now, he is now dying uh, from the sedative and, and he's looking up as, and you know, Edward G Robinson's like, and now you're seeing me like you're looking at me from the other end of a telescope, you know, the wrong end of a telescope. And then there's a really nice, like almost horror movie shot of Edward G Robinson, like looming over him and he's all backlit with black. And then it's just like, he looks so menacing and it's mm-hmm. just a neat little addition. It was. It, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was cool. I thought that showed, that kind of showed the whole uh, power that he had. The whole time he was doing the experiment, he felt like he was in control. The whole time mm-hmm. he was murdering this guy, he felt like he was in control. That's, that's kind of why I made the Zimbardo comparison because that's the idea is that um, he got lost in the control of the experiment. Yeah. Like he got lost in the fact that he was the one um, manipulating everybody. He was the one that uh, was creating the situations and dealing doing all the stuff and all that jazz mm-hmm. yeah actually you know talking with you about this made this even a bigger recommendation for me because initially i was just gonna be like yeah it's it's all right but <laughs> i actually had actually had more fun talking about this with you and i actually like this movie a bit better now <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I I was worried. Okay, so at first when I was watching it, um, I didn't know what to expect. Obviously, we mm-hmm. all it was all recommended because of the name. We wanted yeah. to do it because of the name. That's it. Yeah. And uh, I started watching it, and I was kind of worried because like I didn't know what to expect, and I had this like kind of slow go intro, and I was kind of worried like um, when um, Clitter House like you see the jewelry you're like okay clear house did this and it was kind of again slow going and then I, you start seeing when it gets in with the criminals i was like wait a second mm-hmm. let's really watch this and i was i was sucked in from the end like yep. i, I enjoyed and i enjoyed how he uh when he got help he was just like so how do you deal with a situation like this this random person did this study and they were following criminals and then they murdered somebody what do you do Mm-hmm. And then the guy was like talking about him pleading insanity. Well, not pleading, but making him seem insane. And then it was hilarious in the courtroom when uh, 
the lawyer was defending Clitterhouse, and Clitterhouse was ruining what the lawyer wanted to do yeah. and ended up working out. <laughs> like it was, Again, it was, it's it's more Clitterhouse just like thinking he's untouchable kind of thing. He's just like, I can I can do all the fuckery I want. I can I can even like testify against myself in court and still probably get off. And you know, he's a little pleasantly surprised that he gets off, but at the same time, he's like. You know, like I think his last line is like, "Well, what do you know about that?" or something, something along you know, paraphrasing kind of, kind of. But you know, yeah. like, yeah, he, um, <laughs> I think it was kind of cool though because he was so proud of his work and so proud of his study. Mm-hmm. And when they said, uh, "Well, can a sane man write or an insane man write a sane book?" He's and that insulted. That yeah. was what set him off. Out of everything that happened in this whole movie, you actually see emotion, and it was. Um, trying to doubt his intelligence, mm-hmm. and that's when you really see him. Like, no, no, no. He would like he would go to jail for this book. Like, he was like, no, this is my book. I'm sane. I'm adamant about the study. This is like my brilliancy. Which, realistically, we all know that someone who is insane can be highly intelligent, yeah. and they can come out with really good studies. Doesn't mean that they're ethical or done well, but <laughs> they can be very smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there's a lot of studies out there that ridiculously unethical, but they came out with some really good research. Yeah. Sometimes bad people do great things that are helpful. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. unfortunately. Yeah. Cause it does. Well, to study the human mind, the best way to do it is to study humans. Right. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately some people take that in a literal sense and they go a little bit too far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Unless you got anything else to add about this, uh, I'll just get into a little bit of brief, very brief trivia here. But uh, I think that's it. I think yeah. I just think it's funny in my notes. I just wrote science in really big letters. Science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, both Lee and I and science recommend <laughs> this film. Um, so this was remade as a TV movie in 1947 and 1962, apparently, which I'm actually kind of curious to track those down and see what those look like. Um, Humphrey Bogart uh, later said that this role of Rox Valentine was one of his least favorites and was known to disparagingly refer to this movie as the amazing Dr. Clitoris. And I mean, I I can kind of see why Bogart maybe wasn't too happy with this because he's he's really not playing much more than the one dimensional character here. Like he's not written very deep. He's he's just supposed to be a thug that Clitterhouse disposes of basically. I can see it too because like even on the um, the creative aspect, like there's not a lot of scenery. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of uh, dimension. It's very limited. Like even if you think about it, um, really we have a courthouse. Uh, doctor's office and a uh, hideaway, and mm-hmm. then the one crime scene. But the re- like realistically, there's no um, visual yeah. peel. When- like there's nothing really exciting about it. There's so much talking. There's no visual. Like there's no races. There's no fights. There's no anything. It's mm-hmm. very. It's very. Um, it's very cheap. Like it's yeah. it's obviously very cheaply made. Like um, you're saying, very few locations also kind of belies the fact that it's based on a play. Like it is kind of feels like okay, that that makes sense. Although it yeah. really doesn't doesn't feel like a play to me the way no, they doesn't. actually do it. But I mean, at the same time, the one time it does kind of feel like a play, uh, although to its credit, it, it would be like a really cool looking like stage play if they actually had this set for it. 
um, the set where they're on the top of the fur building or whatever, where they're stealing the furs. Yeah. And they come out there like that looks really good. Like that look really good on stage, but it, it is an obvious like stage backdrop thing. Like, yeah. right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so we have a release info here. <laughs> this fucking movie's everywhere. Um, you can rent it on YouTube or buy it on YouTube in the iTunes Fandango. Now Amazon prime voodoo, uh, several DVD editions, no Blu-ray for this. Uh, I was looking on Blu-ray.com and it seems like there's one in the works, but I don't know if that's true or not, or if that's just like a placeholder template for when it maybe actually eventually shows up, who knows? Um, or you can watch it free with uh, what I think it was like Spanish titles yeah. burnt on it. Yeah. On the, on the internet archive. So, uh, and the internet archive print doesn't look, terrible it looks okay no, the audio was a little bit rough at the beginning but mm-hmm. when she was singing i was like whoa whoa what's up with the audio but it, <laughs> and actually it, actually i should just do a really quick check here your lust doctor house i should have done this before this is how this dare is, you yeah no i it's... fucked up <laughs> um no, I don't think it's on Rare Lust, so there you go. Yeah, go to the Internet Ar- Archive and watch it if, if you're uh, interested. It's worth a watch. It's worth... I think I think um, if you're if you're into psychology, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool. Because uh, like I said, as soon as I did it, I was like comparing it to stuff that I knew. Um, some of the stuff I haven't studied in like four years, five years, so I wasn't clear on the details, but... It was so, like, I could relate it to so many different studies and, like, relate it to so many different uh, psychologists and uh, researchers and all that stuff. And I thought it was, it was definitely cool. Like, for 1939, it was, um, it was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, so, because Daniel's taking a break, we're going to take a break from the uh, going chronology. Uh, chronologically throughout the decades kind of thing where we'll, we'll just kind of like, we'll probably just skip around and do kind of what we want to do. So I was thinking the next official episode we do, uh, we should get our, uh, um, our mutual uh, Danish friend, Thomas in, in on the uh, Dutch Danish. (laughs) They're all the same to me, man. All those Europeans are all scum. Um, no, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get him on. He, he suggested a couple different ones that are interesting. Uh, he just recently suggested maybe mm-hmm. we should do Alien or, yeah, or maybe Highlander or Flash Gordon. Or it seems, it seems pretty centralized on the 80s. Uh, he's cool so movies. excited. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's so excited. So, yeah, let's do something that he wants to do because I know mm-hmm. he's supposed to be on the show. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. And, um, Although next weekend we'll be doing um, another intermission episode uh, and we were planning on doing uh, the sequel to the abominable Dr. Fibes, Fibes Rises Again. So yeah. look look forward to that. We're going to... I do too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll try to get Paul back for that as well. And uh, yeah, just plenty of content coming down the pipe. We got lots of movies to watch and we got lots to say. Mm-hmm. So no worries there. I yeah. have some, uh, uh, so I'm back serving again. Um, this has been since like December 23rd. I haven't served. And then today I finally got to serve and I got a lot of my regulars back. And uh, I was telling them about the podcast and now they're oh. excited to listen to it. So 
hopefully they listen in. Hopefully they get to check this out. Nice. Excited. Hello to anyone who's checked out uh, this because they were checking out you at the uh, bar. Uh, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Sex sells, ladies and gentlemen, sex sells. Um, But yeah, uh, Lee, anything you want to plug before we uh, get out of here or? uh... I I guess I'm going to plug our friend Thomas might as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Since he's going to be on the show soon. Let the world get to know him. Uh, Thomas yeah. Opent is his page on YouTube. Uh, he does beer reviews. And I'm actually going to be on a show tomorrow, which is going to be Sunday. So mm-hmm. on Monday. So it's going to be yesterday when this comes out. <laughs> but, you know, it'll, it'll be archived on there anyway on his, on his exactly. channel. It'll be there. And actually, exactly. and actually he, he does do, um, he has done some uh, movie discussions with yeah, one of his does. friends. Yeah, on, yeah, on his channel. So, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Go check him out. Wonderful person. He's Dutch. Mm-hmm. Danish. From the Netherlands. Sure. Not from Danish. Fran- <laughs> it's from France. I get it. It's fine. Um, yeah, and uh, you can find us, uh, all of our other stuff, at tmbdos.podbean.com, or you can find our Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook links. Join the Facebook group. If you feel so inclined, go to iTunes and give us, you know, or iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever the fuck's called now. Go in there, give us a review, give us five stars. If you do it from any other country than Canada, please let me know, um, you know, either through Facebook or, or wherever the fuck, get in contact with me and let me know that you did it from like the U.S. or wherever the fuck you're listening from. So I can actually you actually have to region switch fucking Apple podcasts every goddamn time you want to see reviews from that region that it doesn't it doesn't for bring them all together in, in one big thing. It's like, Oh no, you gotta, you gotta switch your region to see the fucking reviews, which is the stupidest. What it's a piece of garbage. Um, but, but it's the only game in town. So they can, they can, they're allowed to do that, I guess. Um, yeah, it'd be appreciated. And you know, if you, if you write us a review on iTunes or whatever, uh, we'll read it on the old air and respond to it. And how much you love us or hate us or both. Mm-hmm. I mean, I honestly, I don't care. Give, give it, give us a five star. Give us one star. Just, just justify it. Just justify yeah. it. Right, don't right, be that right. Person who like writes a rating, a negative rating, and then walks away. Mm. Tell us what we did wrong, or tell us what we did right. Mm. Don't be a coward. We want to please you, the audience. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't necessarily want to please them, but I mean, if they're gonna, if they want to fight, I'll give them a fight. <laughs> Yeah. A verbal fight. Let's just understand this. He's very and good with his words. I'll also also just uh, rip your head off in Minecraft. That's what I'll do. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Just add us to my, or add us to. <laughs> but yeah, uh, just stuff. Steam, steam, steam. Yeah, steam. sure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, thank you, Lee. Uh, thank you everyone for, uh, listening and we will be back when we're back. Goodbye. Bye.
of enchantment where the flying fishes play and the lazy breeze keeps nudging the trees on a tropical summer day it's a paradise for dreamers it's a land of missing men for i understand that many who land may never come back again it's a long, long way to Bali, but it's there that I would go. All of all the South Sea Islands, it's the only one I know. I want to go back to Bali, to that island of sunny skies. You can see those scenes in magazines, but you never can see the flies. Oh, it looks like our back alley, but still I love it more. For when the gals meet you down at the pier, they wear less than the ladies do here. If the day and the vision is clear, you can see the shore. Oh, I want to go back to Bali, where there ain't such a word as no. Where to hug and squeeze a Balinese is always apropos. Oh, the Interlaken Valley may be the place to go. Still, I want to go back, and I'm going to go back to Bali. listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. Drive through.